This episode of Pondering Nerdcast was brought to you by GamingRebellion.com. Join the community today at GamingRebellion.com, where it's more than just games. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of the Pondering Nerdcast. This is Mickey coming to you with an awesome interview that I just did with Daryl Freimark. He's the producer of the film version of the graphic novel, The Devil is Due in Dreary. It's a four book graphic novel that takes place in Dreary, a remote Western town where two strangers cross paths and they have to find their way around Dreary, digging into its mysteries before it's too late. Because literally the devil is due in Dreary. It's a work filled with a dreaminess and a tenseness in not knowing what's going to happen next. I found it to be a nice fusion between uh, The Twilight Zone and there's like kind of a feel of a history of violence. There's like this loneliness, this remoteness, this exploration of the human condition, but the dark parts of it. There's a lot of, there's, there's a quality too dreary that I really dug um, because I don't always like my stories to be pristine and pretty and happy feely. And I think that you'll definitely enjoy it. So I suggest you check it out after you listen to our interview. Hi guys. I have the pleasure of speaking with Daryl Freimark. He's the producer of the film version of the graphic novel, The The Devil is Due and Dreary. Hi, Daryl. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. I'm so glad to speak to you tonight because you, uh, I met you at um, Big Apple Con very recently in New York, and uh, we were talking about the work that you were representing there. And I mentioned to you that I wasn't really into Westerns and you sold me on how worthwhile uh, Dreary was. So we can start off with that. Uh, tell us how, first of all, how did Dreary uh, catch your eye? Was it about seven years ago that you found out about it? Yeah. So, um, you know, interestingly, that, that you mentioned that you're not into Westerns because I kind of felt the same way uh, when I came across Dreary seven years ago. Uh, I was actually reading screenplays for IFP, uh, Independent Film Project, and uh, they had a program called Emerging Narratives, and they were selecting, I think, you know, a handful of scripts to participate in the program, and I was one of their readers, basically the uh, first line of defense to help them um, select scripts. I probably read 150 scripts during that time period. And, um, you know, some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. And when I got to Dreary, uh, you know, I'd read the synopsis prior to script, and I kind of felt, oh, God, all right, I'll get through this script. And I read the script, and I was just so captivated by the story. And, um, you know, at the moment when I read it, I wasn't sure why. I was so captivated. I hadn't kind of wrapped my mind around it, but I just felt this is, you know, this is fantastic. And I, um, you know, I recommended that it be selected. And once, when it was selected, uh, Amy Dotson, who runs Emerging Narratives, 
said, uh, you know, okay, all these scripts are going to need um, some advisors. Uh, does anybody want to advise on any of the scripts? And I chose Dreary as the one that I really wanted to to continue working on and to advise on. And uh, at the film week, which was in September of 2008, uh, David Parkin, who's the writer, came in from LA and I, I met with him as his advisor and we chatted about the script. And the more we talked about it, the more I realized what it was that really drew me to it. And, you know, the kind of long-winded way of getting to this point. But what it was is that it's so much a story about psychology and mob mentality and this whole feeling of uh, the Twilight Zone, which um, is something that I grew up, you know, watching and loving. And, you know, so many of the Twilight Zones that I loved were based off of um, these stories about people acting irrationally based off of uh, a belief or, uh, you know, something to that effect. And that's what Dreary is. It's, you know, a town that has been living for 55 years believing a prophecy that had been passed down from a preacher on his deathbed to his 10-year-old son. And the prophecy said, if two people show up in this town, that um, the devil will follow and take the souls of the people to hell. And so this town has been so fearful that they've essentially believed this has to happen. And when two uh, strangers show up in the town, they assume, of course, these guys are going to you know, bring the devil and these guys are kind of like, what, you know, what in the world did we just walk into, you mm-hmm. know, and that, and that's that kind of, you know, mob mentality I was, I was saying, it's just like, it's, it's not rational thought, like, you know, a prophecy and, you know, a, a fairy tale almost that, you know, people have come to believe, um, and, you know, to the point where they're ready to kill these guys, um, when they arrive in town. So, you know, that's what really kind of drew me to the story. Um, and, you know, and it, when I when Dave and I were talking about this for the first time in 2008, Dave admitted to me then that he actually, as an 18-year-old, was inspired by a Twilight Zone episode, which I think was called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. So obviously, the title of our book is also uh, comes from that title of The Twilight Zone. Nice. Um, you know, but it was the same, like a similar story where that was... That Twilight Zone was about, I, I think, a, a bunch of people who lived in like a community and a new family moves in and the people in the community are convinced that the family are like aliens or they're monsters or there's something wrong with them. And ultimately, I think the people in the community kill the family. Um, but there was nothing like the, the, the point was the family wasn't weren't the monsters. The people were the monsters. Um, so anyway, that was a long winded thing of what drew me to the project. Well, that that was actually going to um, <clears throat> you answered my next question, which was what specifically were the the interesting parts of the story? But it's it's pretty much it sounds like it's like a lay person's um, like a guide in philosophy and sociology and theology in the form of a comic book <laughs> taking place in uh, a location that happens to be in the West, but that is pretty much as Western as it gets, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean... I mean um, are, are there any um, telltale Western kind of tropes in there, or were they all just wrung out by Park and discarded? No, no, there, there definitely are, um, and Dave would be so much better doing this than me, because um, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm, 
I read this book and I'm like, and I asked Dave questions about Westerns and, you know, I immediately went out and saw the good, the bad and the ugly to try to, you know, be like, okay, now I'm watching Westerns. Um, but, uh, you know, like, um, I I think some of the standoffs with the guns are very Western-esque. Um, you know, uh, horses have been replaced with cars. So our, uh, our two main characters, Jack and Tino, are driving a very specific car and it's kind of like, you know, a more modern day Western where, you know, if this was in the, an older Western, they'd be riding in on their favorite horses. Well, now they're riding in on their favorite car. Um, you know, the, the female character, I think it's kind of a bit of a femme fatale that you see often in Westerns. Um, so I, I think there are a lot of, a lot of, uh, Western tropes. I, I think even like, you know, Dave talks about like the crows that kind of keep appearing when something bad's going to happen. I, I think that also is kind of a callback to Westerns a bit. Um, so there's certainly all of those. Okay. Okay. How did uh, you and Dave Parker meet? Um, we, we met at the IFP Film Week. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I okay. mean, basically, uh, once they selected these screenplays, um, they invited all the writers of the screenplays to New York to participate in this film week, which was like a, a week of meeting. So basically for the writers, they take their screenplays and they have an opportunity to meet with a ton of people in the film industry to try to get their, their movies made or to try to get an agent or a manager. And, um, you know, the advisor part was just an added bonus that each writer got to have an advisor. I actually wound up being an advisor on six different screenplays, um, all run, all ones that I chose. But Dreary was the one that was closest to my heart and the one that I really want to keep working on. So I've actually stayed in touch with a number of other of the writers. In fact, one of the other writers um, shot a film last year and uh, asked me to be in it. So I acted in her film. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not an actor, but I acted in her film um, last February or something like that. And um, I hope to see it someday soon. Um, but this is the only one that I continue to work on as a producer. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you the sole producer of the upcoming film? Are you, or are you working with other Well, for, for the time being. Um, okay. So, you know, basically what Dave and I, so to give you a little background on what happened between 2008 and today. Um, so at first we said, okay, we've got a screenplay. Let's try to make this into a movie. And I had, my background was that I had worked at New Line Cinema for eight years and I had left. I'd only been out of New Line for a year at that point, And I was just starting to work on independent films, but I hadn't really produced one on my own. I'd produced a music video. I had, you know, worked on someone else's film. And, you know, I was, I was still very much getting my feet underneath me. And so I took the screenplay to a handful of people that I trusted in the industry. And I did partner with a producer. Um, and uh, about six months into our partnership, um, we started talking about the idea of making a comic book first because, you know, the while the screenplay was strong, we needed a strong director. And it was just, you know, it was a long process. And we thought, oh, comic book would really be a great idea. And we talked to Dave about it. And Dave is just a huge comic book fan and was really excited to, to jump into that. And as we started down that road, the guy I was going to partner with um, – Basically, you know, the the economy was bottoming out. It was at this point 2009 and the guy's company was falling apart. And he said, look, we have no formal agreement. I haven't done any work on the screenplay. 
go go do your thing. And so it kind of came back to just me and Dave, and we went out and um, you know it took a long time to figure out how to make the comic book. And you know, I can talk about more details about that later if you want. But basically, it took a, you know years to figure things out, and and we did four individual. Uh, comics and then we finally put them all together into the collection into the graphic novel um and it was only once that was done that we then went back into the screenplay because so much of doing the graphic novel allowed us to really visualize the film so we went back into the script and dave rewrote the script and right now we're trying to get directors on board so you know if we get a, a director who comes with a production company i'm sure i'll be partnering with that producer, whomever that might be, or, you know, if we get a, um, you know, or if at some point we may decide to just try to partner with another production company. Um, you know, I, I'm capable of producing a movie on my own. That's not a problem, but I'm also more than happy to partner with somebody. Um, you know, if they're, if they're, you know, if it makes sense. So. Right. 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 Well, that, um, that totally makes sense. And I was wondering if there is a particular kind of co-producer that you prefer to work with, like not necessarily naming names, but do you have anyone in mind who you'd like to collaborate with? I mean, lots of people. Producer or, or director. <laughs> I mean, what, they, what kind of director do you uh, respond sure. to? The goal with the director right now is we're trying to find somebody who's made a couple of successful movies. We're not looking for, you know, somebody who's, you know, made 20 movies or who has, you know, been nominated for Oscars. Like, we're looking for somebody who maybe has had, you know, a couple of festival darlings, um, maybe looking to take a step up and do a slightly bigger movie. We're looking for a director that can command a special cast because, you know, when you work, if you work with a director who's a first-time director or who hasn't done anything terribly notable, it's hard to convince, you know, frontline cast to get on board. But, you know, so we're trying to, we're, we're, our list of directors, which is short, are directors that, you know, we know can get a nice cast and we know, um, you know, can, uh, um, we, we know can get some, um, some traction behind the movie. So that's, you know, that's from the business side. As far as the creative side, um, I know we'd like somebody who, uh, is making thrillers or, um, you know, has made movies that, uh, look beautiful. Cause you know, Western, uh, typically is going to have a lot of wide shots and, you know, is going to spend time on the scenery. Um, even though dreary is a place that is in fact a dreary place to be. Um, and it's not going to look pretty necessarily. You're, you're still going to want to show that town and that town, the town really, uh, is a character in the script. Um, so, you know, we're looking for people who are really great visual storytellers. Um, you know, so all those things are, are part of it. Like we're, you know, we're not looking for someone who does slasher horror films because you could so easily turn this into something like that. And that's not what this movie is, you know, and on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're not necessarily looking for somebody who, strictly a comedy director because it just would feel like a weird fit so you know got it yeah yeah someone who would be able to conjure the feel yeah from the landscapes right. and it, it doesn't the have dialogue, to be somebody stuff like that right it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be somebody who's done a, uh, a western before but you know i think it does need to be somebody who's 
who's done a thriller or, you know, like one director, and I don't want to say his name because, you know, I don't know if we'll get him, but one director that we were it thinking about. It just might about, be. <laughs> um, has, has not done any thrillers, but he has done some movies that have some Western feels and the right pacing to it. And he's worked with some fantastic actors. So he's towards the top of our list. And, you know, if he's going to, you know, when I speak to him or if I speak to him, you know, the, the pitch and park would be, you know, Hey, this is a thriller, which is a little bit different for you, but we feel like the Western element of it is a natural progression from the other stuff you've done. So, you know, that would kind of be our pitch to him if that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. How exciting. How exciting. I mean, that's, that's the apex of collaboration, you know, like fusing all these different visuals together, these visions. Absolutely. For sure. They would have to know what the Twilight Zone is. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you know. And Rockabilly. Hope, <laughs> right. The hope would be that, you know, somebody who responds to this, that they're responding in that way, which is why, you know, when I said it wouldn't be a necessarily a director who's strictly been directing horror movies or slasher movies because that person might just come in and, and see a different movie, you know, not see, right. not have the same vision we do. Yes. Okay. Do you have a particular work style? Um, what's, what's your work style working with other people? Do you like to work at a distance, having materials sent to each other, or are you more of an in-person kind of brainstormer going over work directly? Are you hands-on? <laughs> are you, hey, I trust you, man, do your thing <laughs> kind of guy? Um, I'm very hands-on. Um, I try not to micromanage. Uh, I know that's my tendency, and I think having <laughs> awareness of it is helpful. Um, we all have something. <laughs> you know, w w when it comes to the process, I examine every detail of it. Um, but I try to keep my mouth shut and I, and I've learned to, you know, I've, I've learned which battles to have and when to share and when sometimes just to, to allow the process to figure itself out. Uh, you know, as far, you know, so, so in that regard, yeah, I am extremely involved. Um, and I love that. I love that I'm involved in the development of a project, you know, the, the creative, the creativity of, of putting it, of putting the story together. I love being involved in the business side, finding the financing. I love to be involved with selecting our crew. I love to be involved on the set. You know, I love to be involved in post-production with the editing. I love to be involved in the sale. Like, I love every element of it. Um, so, you know, I am very involved. As far as in the room, um, having been a film producer in New York for, you know, 15 years now, uh, I'm very, very used to not being in the room since so much of the industry is in L.A. So, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, it's nice to be in the room, but one thing that's nice about not being in the room is that you can have a phone call and you can end it. If you're in the room, sometimes things seem to go three times as long. So, mm, Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and you can't really back out of something when someone's like in your face, like this has to be done right now. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Like when you're right, when you're, when you're on the phone, you're like, all right, I'll handle that later today. I'm writing it on my notepad. I got it. You know, <laughs> when you're in the room, yeah. sometimes it's just like, okay, let's get this done now. And, you know, that's a, not a bad mentality in any regard, but, um, you know, it's, you, you got to kind of organize your day. And anyway, right. I've been fine with the phone. Well, for this project, it's, it's, 
it's a pretty special case because you're involved as a producer, right? So at the end of the day, you get the final say, right? Of, of the scenes that get to stay and that get to go. But at the same time, you're kind of like a super fan. So you're like the, the, the fan that loves a work and you have this vision of how a movie would go. You're like, oh my gosh, if I could cast whoever I wanted to, I would cast this person. If I would be in this location, I would totally do a film this way. Like you are a producer and you're also a super fan in a way. You're, you're almost like an, it's, it's like you're an advocate for art, you know? Yeah, sure. And, and, and that's one of the things that I, that I also enjoyed about um, our talk at, at the con. It was short, but it was sweet. Um, you know, you really, you told me about how, you know, during the recession um, around 2010, um, the, the film, it looked like it was, it was a go, right? But then fi finances, you know, dried up and you had to be really creative about how to move forward with this project. So, you know, I, I, I give you kudos for that because, I mean, creation is not easy. <laughs> so... You know, but when when you believe in a project, you just you, you do what you have to do. And sometimes you you take a, a different route that you never visualize for yourself. But but you are the man to make big decisions like that. So, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and it's with, with all my projects, like I I love being in that position where I have to make those decisions or you have to think on your toes or be creative and um you know, there's a creativity in the business side of it and there's a creativity in the creative side of it. And, um, you know, you, you make things happen. And I'm always in awe when I'm on a film set. And, you know, like one of, one of the first things that um, I saw on a film set that blew my mind was we were filming a um, really long day and we were losing sunlight. And we had all these soldiers getting on a truck at the end of the day. Um, well, <laughs> They're getting on a truck at the end of our day, but in reality, they were getting on a truck at 7 a.m., you know, is what it was supposed to be for the movie. And so it's supposed to be bright daylight and we're losing the sun. So um, we get everybody on the truck and uh, we tell them to take dinner break. And these guys build these giant lights and they shine them down onto the truck, in, inside the truck. And, you know, everyone comes back from dinner and they get on the truck and, uh, Instead of the truck driving, we just had a guy on each side of the truck just rocking it back and forth. And then when I look <laughs> at the footage later on, it's like it looks like it's complete daylight. It looks like the truck's driving down the road. And as far as the sounds of the engine, I mean, you just add that later on. And it was just like watching them come up with that solution. I was like, all right, in the film world, on every side of it, from the creative, you know, from the filmmaking, you know, to the producing in the business you can always figure out a way to make things happen so you know i really enjoy that and like you know that's been we've had that this whole process of, of dreary you know the decision to make it into a comic book was you know a, a fun decision but it you know set up tons of challenges and you know like along the way we've, we've gone through a myriad of problems and mistakes and things we would have done differently and um you know, and, and had to take on those challenges and, you know, and, and make thing, make it work. And at the end of the day, I'd sit here with a book that I'm, you know, unbelievably proud of. Right, right. So it sounds like a 
a pretty cool learning experience for you producing this work yeah and you're you're learning what you knew you didn't know about producing and so pretty much the best way to to learn is on the job like on like just in the situation just do it just do it yeah no that's why i i'm always quick to give kudos to creators because it's a, it's a beautiful process and all the hardship, all the, the, the triumphs, all of it. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so, it's such a learning experience. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when it comes to comic books, I, I personally have seen how word of mouth is, is one of the best ways to get folks, to get new fans, to learn about comics, about graphic novels, about any kind of, um, art form like that, uh, entertainment like that. Um, how do you feel about the traction Drury's been getting thus far? It's been really good. It's been, it's been interesting because, you know, we, we went through the four individual comics. We ran two Kickstarter campaigns. Um, we've done a bunch of cons and, you know, there are lots of spikes when we're at a con or, um, but I get to do a show like this, or Dave has done shows as well. And that's always really great. Um, but now the book's been out for a little while. And what I found most interesting, and this, this happened a lot at uh, Big Apple the other day, was people coming up to me and saying, hey, man, I picked up the book six months ago. I you know, loved it. I'm really excited to, to know what's going on with the movie. And so now we're kind of in this process of, you know, we're really excited to get the movie moving forward, but it's also a little bit of a weight game because getting movies to happen and takes a lot of time. So, um, right. you know, the book to generated, do it right. for sure, but the book generated a ton of fans and great traction. And now I feel like everyone's just kind of waiting. And at this point it's funny cause it's like, you know, they're going to be waiting a while, even if like, we got a director tomorrow and we got the financing and we started shooting in July. You know, the movie at best wouldn't be out until the summer of 17 and all likely to be out sometime in 2018. That's a long time. Um, so I think right now it's just about continuing the conversation as opposed to gaining more traction, keeping people interested. And then as soon as we have news to report, you know, getting on our Facebook, getting on our website, and updating and, you know, and hopefully the, the fans will, will stick with it and, and we'll get excited. And, you know, um, we're always happy when we have any sort of word of mouth that, you know, adds new fans. Uh, but we also understand that probably the majority of the new fans will come when the movie actually does get made. Yeah. And I mean, the fans are going to be there like nerds. We stick around. We remember works that we want to see that we want to consume and there's no doubt about it we we don't let go of stuff like that <laughs> we will remember <laughs> Excellent. We, we wait we wait for five we're 10, count- <laughs> 15 years we're counting on it um yeah, for sure but yeah like i remember when um um oh gosh i'm forgetting the name of the movie uh the movie with michael Sarah who's Uh, scott pilgrim thank you i remember when you know my friend produced that movie and i remember when he was telling me you know oh we're gonna make that movie and then i would hear from the fans how excited they were and then it took a few years for that movie to get made 
And I remember, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about it. And then all of a sudden the movie came out and I went to a pre-screening of it with a buddy of mine and there was a line around the corner and we showed up 45 minutes before and we're like, oh my God, are we not going to get in? And we got in and people went nuts and it was like, all right, that's cool. Like, you know, I'm sure there was a period of time where people weren't thinking about it as much, but as soon as it revved up, as soon as they actually knew the movie was coming out, there was an excitement. So, you know. I think that's what hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll have something like that. Maybe not to the extent of Scott's, Scott Pilgrim, but, you know. <laughs> no, no. Like, you're, 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 you're going, you have a plan, you're sticking to it. It's, it's working. I mean, you're talking to me. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't know about Dreary before Big Apple Con, and now I know about it. And, I, and I'm reading book two of, of book four, and I'm, I'm digging it. Um, awesome. So there you go, right? Awesome. Um, and so Dreary had two Kickstarter campaigns, right? Yep. How, what was that experience like? How how was it um, fostering uh, such a strong fan base through Kickstarter with with these new works? You know, not not just as a means of financing them, but connecting with people and sharing sharing this work with them. It was amazing. Uh, you know, the first Kickstarter campaign. Um, was it was interesting because the first Kickstarter campaign was right in the, the early days of Kickstarter. Maybe Kickstarter was about a year old at the time, and you know we had estimated how much money we thought we needed and why we thought we needed that much, and we had hired artists and we'd actually laid out some money, you know, that we were going to try to pay ourselves back, and then we had more money to pay for the continued work and. Um, you know, I was able to meet with somebody at Kickstarter and we was very nervous about it. And when it started, you know, it was great. You have a lot of friends and family who support you and that's lovely. But what was interesting were the people who were discovering us and who were, you know, contributing because they thought it looked interesting. So when we finished the first campaign, we had 102 people back it and we had a lot of new fans and that was awesome. That was just for issue number one. So uh, we went on to, to finish the, the books and then we ran a second campaign, uh, which paid for issues. Sorry, we didn't go on to finish the books. We went on to continue working on the books, but then we had to have a second campaign to finish issues two through four and for the graphic novel. And when we started that campaign, we were looking for a lot more money and also obviously hoping to reach out to a lot more people. And we wound up with, I want to say it was 250 backers. And the majority of them we didn't know. And there were a lot of people who had backed the first Kickstarter who came back and backed the second one so they could get the remainder of the series. There were all these new people and from around the world. I mean, there's a guy in, in London who emails me and asks me about updates. And, um, you know, it was, just, it was really great. And the most amazing thing that happened at Kickstarter was we were project of the day. So every day they anoint one. One project, project of the day. And we were project of the day on uh, uh, Sunday in May. Um, and 32 people backed us that day. And they were all new people. I didn't know a single one of them. Amazing. They were all people who just saw it. And one of them was uh, this young man who's since passed away. His name is Khalil Tyner. And Khalil backed the project with a very generous sum. And I got nervous. I said, who is this guy? It came in at, <laughs> you know, midnight 
from Las Vegas. So it was three in the morning here in New York and I woke up at you know six AM or whatever and I looked on my phone and I saw that I got this this uh big sum at, at midnight uh Vegas time. So I emailed the people at Kickstarter and I said, What if what if this was like just some drunk guy who like meant to give forty dollars or you know, who didn't mean to give anything or was playing a joke? What if he pulls back his money? And they they said they'd look into it and they look into it and they came back to me and they said this guy's legit. Don't worry about it. And I said, all right. And when the campaign was over, I emailed him and I said, uh, you know, hey, what, what made you do it? And he said that he was looking to get involved in a project in, in film. And he was recently, he got to culinary school and he was working um, at a, you know, in a, like a buffet bar or something in Vegas. And he wants to get into film. And he... Um, read about our project and saw that it was a comic book, which he's a huge comic book fan. And it was going to be a film. And he saw that my background, I'd made a few films already and he just wanted to be involved. Um, so he got involved and Khalil and I became friends and he wound up working on a number of my movies. Um, you know, we had did a movie that, uh, two movies that had to do with food that came on as like a food consultant because he had his culinary school background, but he also, ultimately had gone to film school and was able to help in other capacities as well. And unfortunately, Khalil, uh, very sadly, was killed by a drunk driver a few months ago. Um, you know, so we oh, wow. are dedicating this project to him, um, you know, as well. But, like, he, he came through Kickstarter. You know, he became a friend, um, you know, a staunch supporter. Uh, we hung out with him in San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago. Uh, so anyway, you know, but, but there have been other fans, too. Khalil is the special story. But um, there's certainly have been, uh, you know, I, I was recently emailing with a guy, uh, you know, checking in from Texas and, you know, stuff like that. It's been very nice. Yeah. And the yeah, Kickstarter, there are actually... Kickstarter community is really great. I mean, those guys have been really supportive and, you know, I've become friends with a lot of people who work at Kickstarter now and, you know, they're always curious about what's going on with the project and want updates. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were you were one of the first uh, campaigns. That's that is amazing. Um, and also Kickstarter. I mean, just the fan base through Kickstarter. You know, I I fund campaigns. I fund random campaigns. I I will learn about a campaign one day and I'll give like 10, 15 bucks like in five minutes. And I do that because. People like me, we we don't blindly give our money <laughs> away. We want to contribute amounts, random amounts to projects that we find beauty in, that we find joy in, that we want to see come to, to fruition. And there doesn't even have to be any direct connection to us. You know, it doesn't have to be a family member or friends campaign like it, it, the project speaks for itself and you know so then you'll you'll encounter strangers like me who want to maybe talk your ear off about how great the project is and all this stuff but then you guys you go one step further and then you you actually have characters based on kickstarter um uh contributors and I thought that was really, really touching. I was so stoked at all the different um, characters that I saw on your Facebook page based off of Kickstarter contributors. 
that yeah. was really cool. Tell, t- tell us a bit about that. Sure. I can't even remember whose idea that was. It might have been my idea, but I, I can't take credit. Well, if that's I a great idea. <laughs> if it was mine or not. Um, but yeah, the, you know what I think it was? I think that we had seen movies that said, you know, oh, contribute this amount and be an extra in the movie. Oh, you know what? I do remember how it came about. Alex Sanchez, who did our cover art, he was not the, the artist for the book is Alan Jefferson, but Alex did the covers. Alex is a buddy of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, he did the covers almost as a favor, uh, you know, and just to be a part of the project. And he mentioned to me that in other comic books that he draws, he often draws in a bunch of our friends as characters just because he thinks it's funny. And, you know, why not? Like he has to create somebody and he creates them to look like one of our friends. Um, and I said, oh, that's a great idea. We should do that for, uh, for Kickstarter. So I asked Alan, who was doing the, all the artwork for the interiors and, uh, Alan loved the idea. So that's where that idea came from. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was contributing it at a, at a certain level. I think it was $300 got you drawn into the book as a character. If you gave 350, you also got a line of dialogue. So, um, we must've had 30 people, 25 people or something, you know, my neighbors, Larry and Marianne, or, you know, in a scene, my, my girlfriend, uh, uh, her cat, <laughs> her cat didn't contribute. My girlfriend contributed, but uh, you have her cat drawn into the book. and um, The gray one, right? Yes. Yeah, so the only cat yeah. that's in the book. Uh, my dermatologist <laughs> is in the that's book. awesome. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of people that we also didn't know. Like people thought it was a great idea, you know, and, and it was pretty awesome. They were sending me, because what was great about that too is that you'd have, you know, this guy from Texas who I've never met who contributed at that level. And when it came time to draw him in, I said, Oh, send me your picture. You know, and he, and he sends me his pictures of him standing in front of his house. And it's like, Oh, that's what you look like. And I can put a face to, uh, you know, to the name, which, which was nice. Cause I don't know a lot of my, a lot of our backers aren't on Facebook or don't have their faces posted online. So I don't know what they look like, but this guy, I know what he looks like. And now he's, stringing up the noose to to hang one of our uh one of our guys you know um and he's yelling kill him or whatever we have him yelling <laughs> he he's now immortalized <laughs> yeah so i mean that was that that was a really fun element and it was actually when we were pushing you know with uh towards the end of the campaign you know it, it was it was kind of my go-to it was always like you know back the campaign and get yourself immortalized in the comic <laughs> No, but it's true. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's a fun idea. Like I, are you still doing that? No, the, the Kickstarter was successfully funded. And so are, is, are people still allowed to contribute and thus get their characters made? No, no, <laughs> no, no. The books, I mean, the, the the books book, are done. The, right. The books are done. I mean, we certainly, we have a long-term plan and the long-term plan is that you know, after the movie's made and and after hopefully we have, uh, you know, an even further growing fan base that we go back in and we, we continue working on the comics. There's so many more stories. I mean, you'll see when you get to the end, but like, you know, where these characters go afterwards, you know, what happens to them, but also what happened to them before. I mean, there's, there's a lot, you know, we, we walk into dreary 55 years into, into this prophecy, but like what's been going on and what led to the prophecy? And what did, you know, Jack and Tino do before they arrived in Dreary on this day? You know, why was Jack in jail? You know, 
why is Tino so so feared? Like all that stuff, you know. So Dave Dave has all those stories. I know a lot of them, but he probably has plenty he hasn't told me. So, um, you know, who knows? Like if it's popular, and you know, we may not need to go back to Kickstarter, but we may go back to Kickstarter anyway for the fun of it and to keep the fans involved. Like, you know, maybe we just run contests to get people drawn in. Who knows? Who uh, we'll be very fortunate to be in that position uh, someday, but I certainly hope to be. Right on. Okay. So how about conventions? Have conventions been a, worth, a worthwhile vehicle for, um, for you, for Dreary, as uh, a, a place for marketing, for promoting, for connecting with fans, for all of the above? And... Also for yourself personally, are you a convention goer or, and if not, how do you find conventions? How do you find comic book um, conventions like Big Apple Con and New York Comic Con, et cetera? Um, so all really good questions. I was not a comic book reader growing up, which I, you know, I'm almost scared to admit it being, you know, that I'm so immersed in this world now, but um, it, it was not what I was into, and um, I didn't. I, I mean, I was a huge baseball card collector, so I did go to baseball card conventions, which I'm not even sure that's a thing anymore. It probably is, but uh, it was huge when I was a kid. And comic books were always like a, a small thing in the giant baseball card conventions that I used to go to. Um, oh, no kidding! So it's kind of like how the conventions are now, where. You'll have a section for video games. You'll have a section for movies, a section for anime or whatever. But in the overall comic book convention. So you're saying there there were baseball card conventions and there were comic book sections within? Yeah. Yeah. It was basically like. Oh, interesting. I mean, it, it was like, I mean, I grew up in the 80s and baseball cards there were three ultimately four baseball card companies. They're probably a lot more now, but it was Topps, Donruss. Fleer, and then um, uh, Upper Deck came about in the late 80s. And, you know, people all had their personal collections, and they'd buy booths, and they'd sell from their personal collections. And, you know, they, they'd get some stars to come and sign autographs, you know, very much like, um, you know, the cons that we go to now. Uh, but, you know, amidst the collectors, there were always some comic books. But the comic books were the minority, and I never went and looked at that. Um, you know, so that was, but I, I, I was in a somewhat similar scene, a, a different kind of scene, but, you know, somewhat similar. And then, you know, working in film, and because film is so uh, attached to comic books, and we have so many comic book movies, when I worked at New Line Cinema, New York Comic Con started. I, I can't remember what year it was, but, uh, you know, my colleague, Mark Kaufman, was a huge comic book fan. And when New York Comic Con started, Mark and I would go and went every year. And at that point, it was just like, you know, going for the spectacle. I've never missed a New York Comic Con, uh, which is kind of amazing for somebody who's not, who didn't grow up a comic book fan. But I went every year with Mark. And then um, <laughs> even after I left New Line, I would go usually with Mark for at least a day. Um, and I wouldn't usually buy anything. I would just walk around and chat with people. And then when we decided to do Dreary, uh, we went to San Diego. And I'm, oh, because Dave 
I'd been going to San Diego since San Diego started. So my writer, wow. Dave Parkin, had, you know, Dave's probably in his early 30s now. Sorry to blow up your age there, Dave. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so however many years San Diego's been on, Dave's been going, you know, since he was 16 or 14 or whatever it was. He lived in southern Utah and he would, he would go to San Diego. Um, and he had never missed to San Diego. So he was telling me, oh, we got to go. So I went to San Diego Comic-Con and that blew my mind. It was overwhelming. It was, I mean... It was it was such a spectacle, um, and then we started selling at New York Comic Con. We did one year selling at San Diego, and um, I just always find it amazing. I find like, you know, the fans are so passionate and so interested, and you know, the the fans that have read the book or have read some of the books always want to come and talk about it, and then they're just people who are so interested in talking about new stories and you know it's it's a really cool place to to chat about your work um you know it's exhausting when you're selling all the time um but it's yeah, it's just really great to kind of get to know people and um i mean I've, i have friends now from you know there's a guy i met two cons ago a, a german guy and you know he came and he i I, I, he was walking by and I said, hey, you want to talk about uh, a new comic book? And he said, sure. So we chatted about my book for a while and he bought it. And then last year at New York Comic Con, he came by and he said, uh, hey, remember me? And I said, I do. He goes, I love the book. And I'm like, great. And he said, oh, we, we should hang out. And now <laughs> he and his girlfriend and me and my girlfriend, uh, once a month, we go to a, we try a new fancy cocktail bar. Um, and it's all because of dreary. <laughs> you know, it's like... Um, so it's 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 been kind of cool to kind of to have that, and even the the people I sit with. When I started doing the New York Comic Con, I sat with this guy Brad, who had this wonderful book or has this wonderful book called Mixtape, and then um, you know Brad stopped doing the convention, so now I sit with Kristen, who has this wonderful book Hench Girl, and you know Brad had his own group of fans because Brad's book was about uh, mixtapes in the eighties and like each one of his books followed like a, a group, like maybe the remote, one of the books was kind of about the Ramones and um, another one about the sex pistols. And so there were all these like people who kind of were into that music and into the idea of mixtapes and into the idea of a throwback who'd come over and talk to Brad. And then Kristen, you know, kind of, a, it's about a, a female uh, who gets thrust into villainy um, because her boss is a villain. And now she's kind of like an unwilling hench, girl to her boss's evil plots um and she's got a huge fan base so i just meet all these interesting and different people and um and i yeah so i love it and dave dave's come to new york twice uh which is always fun because like as much as i can talk about dreary i did not create it it is not my story but, like it's amazing to watch dave talk about it um and dave did salt lake this year which is, you know, he's from Salt Lake and he said that was just a great experience. Just like, you know, people were so passionate about kind of the hometown guy coming back with his book, even though Salt Lake's a huge convention, like it's not like a little mom and pop thing. Um, you know, and it's, uh, and then Big Apple has been great. It's, it's smaller, but I, you know, it's, it's growing and, uh, you know, gaining, you know, getting new fans every, t every time and speaking to people like you and, uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's been fantastic. The conventions right now, the conventions are the only thing 
until the movie gets made, it's like we do the conventions just to kind of keep chatting about the book and you know keep keeping in touch with our fans. Right on, cool. Well, Big AppleCon, by the way, they were around longer than New York Comic Con, so. Oh, that's um, funny. I did not know that. Awesome, awesome New York history. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of New York, and uh, uh, I, I'm a native New Yorker, so I'm biased, right? <laughs> but I'm um, also a native New Yorker. Awesome, awesome, right? So I love my New York movies, and I, I love my New York filmmakers and my producers, and just I, I love all things New York, right? But um. I will put my bias aside. Um, for you, uh, being a, a Tribeca Film Festival contributor, are you a frequenter of the festival currently, or um, uh, do you do fest the festival scenes around the world? Absolutely. How how um, how uh, are involved are you in in film festivals? Um, very. Uh... As far as Tribeca specifically goes, uh, I had films there in 2012, 2013, and 2014. And, uh, you know, having a film there enables you to kind of like attend almost anything you want to. And also you have all this wonderful support from the festival for your film. Um, so that's always been a great experience. So last year when I did not have a film there, um, they were kind enough to give me an alumni badge, so I participated in a lot last year. And earlier awesome. today, I was, <laughs> I was thinking, man, I haven't even thought about Tribeca this year because I, I don't have a film that you know I'm trying to get into the festival this year. And I emailed over there today, and I said, hey, any chance you guys would uh, invite me back and give me a, an alumni badge again? And um, and they said, sure. So uh, looks like I'll be doing some festival stuff uh, this year as well. Um, but you also asked about festivals around the world. So, uh, before I was making independent films, I went to Sundance a number of times. Uh, I went there in 2000 and in 2001 when I was working for a producer kind of as his assistant. And I went back in, uh, 2008 and 2009, both times support friends of mine who had films there. And, uh, you know, each, each experience was different and, and it was wonderful to be there as an assistant and to kind of like, you know, see all these fancy people and then to come back and be there to support my friends was awesome because, you know, it was, got to see, uh, my friends' movies that went on to be really awesome movies and, you know, got to watch it with that crowd for the first time and, and, and read the press for the first time about it. Uh, so, um, I love that atmosphere. As far as uh, you know, then going to other festivals, my films uh, have played at Tribeca. Um, I went to Venice, um, Italy, for one of my films, which was just amazing. I've been to Seattle. I've been to Cairo, Egypt. I've been to St. Louis, uh, Philadelphia. Um, uh, gosh. Uh, I don't know why I'm drawing blanks now, but I've been, I've been too, to a lot too of, many to name, <laughs> um, you know, and, and every time you go to one of these festivals, it's, it's kind of like conventions. You're, you're meeting a whole new group of people who are watching your film for the first time and want to talk about it. And that always feels great. Um, and you're getting to hang out with other filmmakers, uh, which is always a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to compare the two. You, you travel a lot between your conventions and your festival going. 
you're you're a worldly man and um and uh you're you're a pleasure to speak with honestly so thank you um yeah um pleasure to speak with you (laughs) oh well thank you sir thank you kind sir um says the two workers we'll go back to being jaded when we get off the phone (laughs) totally totally (laughs) uh and grumbling and all that (laughs) a siren Um, just went by so hopefully that's you know perfect timing for that conversation That is great audio for for the backdrop <laughs> for us New Yorkers. Um, yeah, on 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 that note, I'm 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 happy to call this interview a close uh, since we want to set you free, <laughs> Mister Frymark, so you can go off and do your or your wondrous things, um, and uh, be ready for a new day of of producing awesome works and representing dreary <laughs> awesome can i uh make a plug for for how to get the uh, book out there to other people at this point definitely definitely we would love for you to let all of our listeners know where we can learn more about you and see more of your works awesome yeah. so uh, i'll start with dreary um now that all you wonderful listeners have had an opportunity to hear all about this book i'm sure you all want to read the book so uh you know, please come to our website, thedevilisdueindreary.com. Try to keep that simple, right? Thedevilisdueindreary.com. And uh, yeah, just click through to our shop and, uh, and pick up the book. Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's how you can pick up the book. As far as following my works and following this book specifically, we're all over Facebook. So, you know, please follow The Devil is Due and Dreary on Facebook. Please follow me, Daryl Freimark, on Facebook. Um, I mostly post about my work. I occasionally post about my life as well. So, you know, bear with me if I have a picture of my girlfriend and I on vacation. You know, we like to show off when we do the rare vacation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's certainly you can – I'm always posting about my movies and upcoming screenings. And, you know, when I need extras, so any of you out there who want to be in a film, you know, you might see – Something pop up tomorrow. Come to set and we'll put you in the background of a kitchen scene. Make sure, you know, make sure to wear white or whatever the case might be. Um, awesome. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Daryl. I appreciate speaking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really fun. As Daryl Frymark mentioned at the end of the show, more information can be found on the devil is and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash the devil is doing dreary. You can stay tuned for more interviews like this one on the Pondering Nerdcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For more content, please visit ponderingnerds.com or our podcast home at gamingrebellion.com. Lastly, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So definitely check us out. 